0: hey what's up blazer fans this is tara and i am currently sitting in the las vegas airport getting the finishing touches on covering four days of the nba summer league what i've done with this podcast is i tracked down folks who could tell me more about the players who are coming to the trailblazers found someone to talk about fazemore about whiteside tolliver and Haldonia. so that's what you're gonna hear these are writers who have covered the players for various SB Nation and other blogs and I just wanted to find out more about the guys who are about ready to come to Portland. sounds like they all have some things in common, for instance, um, being places where they haven't necessarily lived up to their potential or also uh, people who came into the league with a chip on their shoulders because maybe they had to work their way pretty hard to get into the league or um, another thing they have in common is a lot of them have played on teams recently that haven't had a lot of success, so they're going to be going from uh, you know, losing situations into winning situations with the trailblazers. So there's a few common themes running through them, but there's also you know uh, something unique about each one of them. So hope you enjoy this. And don't worry, the audio is the audio quality is going to get much better. All right, it is time now to learn some more about one of Portland's new additions, Kent Baysmore. And to do that, we've got Jeff Siegel from Peachtree Hoops joining us. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So... I'm fascinated about Bazemore. I've always been fascinated about Bazemore, mostly because his name lines up real well, well with the Blazers. So, uh, but now that he's on the team, I'm wanting to learn more about him. I'm wondering if you could start off by talking about what it was like when he first came to Atlanta.
1: I mean, when he first came to Atlanta, he had not really played that much at all. Like in his NBA career, he was part of that sort of bench unit from the, uh, the Golden State Warriors where he was, most well known for his celebrations with the towels and everything. He never played for them really um, in, in early in his career in like 2012 and 2013, and then who um, was with the Lakers for a very short time after being traded there. Didn't play a ton uh, uh, for them either, and then came to Atlanta sort of as a uh, totally unproven guy on a basically I think on a minimum contract, and then within two years was on a you know 18 19 million dollar year contract. So you know he certainly came with very few expectations, almost, you know, we, it was just a, uh, a, um, another minimum guy to fill out the bench. And it, he turned into, you know, what we see from him today, which is, you know, he's making lots of money, maybe not quite as much money as he you know earns, but he's, you know, he's, I think he's a, a very good player as somebody worth in the, you know, eight, 10, $12 million range, uh, right now. And so he's, you know, he's going to be a big addition for, for Portland.
0: So, when he first came in, were people. What was the read on his game? What were people saying about expecting him to do?
1: I don't know that there were expectations. I mean, he was really like the end of the bench kind of guy. Like, he was the 14th, 15th man who, you know, was a wing, played with some energy, might be able to shoot the ball, but like had to put it all together and was not like a player. There were no like. This is the role he's going to play for the Atlanta Hawks, especially when he joined the hawks were a good team. They were just coming up you know on that sixty win season, which he was a big part of, but nobody knew that he was going to be a big part of that when he joined the team. so it was really the the expectations were that he would show up and hopefully like make the team like it wasn't even that he had expectations of being in the rotation, and obviously he he blew those expectations out of the water.
0: Okay. So starting off as just hoping to make the team to being, like you said, an integral part of that 60 win team. What happened? What did he do? What was it like when, what did people see in him? I mean, once he
1: really got going, then it was clear, like, he's a 3 and D kind of wing who can hit shots, who can defend his position, who plays with a ton of energy, plays with a ton of veteran leadership, even back then, even in 2013, 2014, when he was, you know, first coming up with the the Hawks, it was clear that, like, he played the game sort of the right way, the way that Mike Budenholzer at the time, who was the the head coach at the time for the Hawks, the way that he wanted the game played, he would pass the ball, he could do lots of different things at at a relatively high level, and it was just sort of jack of all trades master of none. He wasn't like a, you know, elite 3-point shooter. He at the time he was probably a, a better defender than he is now just in terms of athleticism and the way he could he could move on the floor, but he was, you know, just played with a ton of energy, brought brought whatever they they needed him to him, him to bring offensively, defensively, could guard one through 3 like just did, you know, pretty much everything. So it was, you know, I think that was what became the baseline expectation for him in those, you know, early years. And then as things sort of have tapered off in the, in the last few years, he's battled some injuries. He's, you know, I just had some general age related athletic declines. That's been, you know, where he's sort of fallen off a little bit over the last, you know, maybe three years or so
0: when he was playing with the team that had the 60 wins and you know they were playing really well what were some of the typical plays that he would be involved if, with or maybe some of the things that we might be able to watch for him to do sort of his signature moves i guess
1: i mean s- his biggest thing offensively really is is how much he can help as a as a spot up shooter and as a Sort of secondary playmaker. If you if if the Blazers want to give him that role, obviously if they're you know if they have him on the floor with Dame Lillard and and C J McCollum, like there's not a whole lot of playmaking going on between anybody else other than those two guys. But if he's playing with the bench or is he playing with just one of those guys, he'll have you know he he can put the ball on the floor, he can make some plays. He turns the ball over too much, which is a a, you know was a big part of his uh, negative you know his his negatives with with the Hawks over the last few years. But you know, he's going to try some stuff. He's going to, you know, he's going to, he's lefty. So he'll, he loves to stand out in the right corner and come out of the, out of that right corner toward his left hand for a a dribble handoff at the elbow. Uh, He'll, he'll work well with Yusuf Nurkic in that way as soon as you're, uh, as soon as Nurkic gets healthy. So, you know, I think that's, that's going to be a a big part of it where he sort of sweeps toward his left and tries to get to the, his left hand uh, at the basket. So, you know, that was one of the, the signature plays that they like to run for him out of the corner. You know, it's just, it's sort of, Lots of different little things. I mean, he's he's going to be a spot up shooter, which is you know the big reason why they traded for him versus you know keeping Evan Turner is that you know Bazemore can shoot from from the corners and from above the break.
0: You talked about him being a lefty and liking that that corner. Is he a good corner shooter as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, he'll shoot. He'll he'll hit you know 37 percent of those corner threes. So if you if if the if Lillard is, is running a pick and roll from you know toward his left and fires it to to Bazemore in the right corner. Guys are going to close out there. There's going to be more space on the floor than there was with Turner. Bazemore's going to be able to hit that shot and and teams are going to have to guard
0: him out there. I like to hear that where you say that he has the ability to do some playmaking because even though he will be out on the floor, he'll probably only be out there with either Dame or C.J. or maybe if he is with them both, but then we've seen, you know, a lot of teams double team Dame or double team CJ or whoever. So we really actually do need ball handlers this year. Evan Turner was really critical for that. And uh, as a matter of fact, Nur- Nurkic was too. So we're going to be really missing some people who can do that. So it's encouraging uh, to hear that he's got that kind of capabilities. Who are some of the players that he meshes really well with and the style of play and-
1: I mean, you have to have him out there with a a primary playmaker. You know, Dame or CJ is going to have to be out there. I mean, that makes sense across the board. I mean, you're not going to be able to get away too much without one of those guys on the floor at, at all times. The fact that he's not... So much of a a primary creator that he can like create his own shot out of nothing. He can't, you know, he's not like an isolation scorer, really. You know, he doesn't have a ton of shake with the ball in his hands. He's not going to just blow by his guy to the rim. He's, you know, he can work a secondary pick and roll in that, like, if Dame runs a pick and roll on the right side of the floor and then swings it all the way across to, to Bazemore on the left. And the and a big man comes out to to set a screen. He can run that play, and so you know the defense is sort of already compromised from having to defend the first one, and then he can sort of handle the ball in the second one. So I think that's where you know that's sort of his role, and that's where he can sort of bring a lot of offensive value. And then defensively, you know, he can guard one through three. He's not going to guard the biggest threes, like if you you know matching up a hit with him against like Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, like those things are going to be difficult for him. He's not big enough. He's six five. He's just not quite big enough to do those things but you know he he can certainly defend you know point guards and shooting guards and and stick with those guys really well
0: with the loss of Aminu and Harkless it's very possible that he may actually may be called to guard those guys you just named so what are some of the ways that do you see any path forward like for him to be able to have success I mean he can't really grow four inches but
1: I mean he's he's not going to be Evan Turner in that regard. Like you're, they, they made this trade, even though Baysmore is better as a defensive player, this trade is more about what happens on the offensive end of the floor because of Bazemore's ability to, to shoot the ball. He's not quite the playmaker that, that Evan was that, that, or that Turner is for, for the Hawks, but he's, he's going to be able to space the floor and they're going to be better offensively. Defensively, I mean, he's small. Like, it is what it is. He's not small, like, as a human being. But, like, at 6'5", he's not Evan Turner. Like, Evan Turner's big and stocky and can guard threes and fours really well. You know, obviously, Aminu and Harkless, same thing. They can guard threes and fours. Aminu can even play a little bit of five. You know, Bazemore's not that kind of player. He's he's more of a perimeter guy. He's more of a, you know, he's more of a, a ones and twos kind of defender where, you know, if you play him with Dame Lillard or CJ McCollum you can hide those guys somewhere else and if they you know Dame doesn't have to guard Steph Curry because you can you've got Kent Bazemore who can you know at least take you know take some of those possessions away from Lillard same kind of concept goes for for CJ when you're going up against backup point guards or something like that you throw Bazemore out there and he can handle that and you will have a better defense than if you let CJ or Dame do it because of you know because of Bazemore's ability to, to defend the that position at the point of attack but you know it's it's going to be difficult when he's when he if he has to play the 3 you know those bigger 3s are going to hurt the blazers like that's that's sort of the trade off that they're making here and you know they're just hoping that their team defense is able is going to be able to to stop those guys
0: yeah how how does he play in a team defensive unit
1: I mean he's going to be fine like I think he's he's somebody who plays the game the right way and you know quote unquote and he, I think he rotates well he communicates really well he's very he's good He's a good leader on the floor, he's a good communicator, he's somebody who will make the right rotations. He's not lazy. He, you know, gets after it on, on the defensive end, both as a an off-ball defender and an on-ball defender. So he'll be in the right places at the right times. He's, you know, before he got injured last season, he was having the best defensive season of his career. Blocks, steals, you know, both career highs. Was putting up like elite defensive stats for the first 35 games and then he rolled his ankle and he was never the same uh the rest of the year. He missed a month and came back and was just not quick enough, just wasn't, didn't have it. So, you know, assuming with, you know, four months off, because, you know, obviously the Hawks did not make the playoffs. So he's going to have, you know, between April and and October to get, you know, get his body right. I think he's going to get back to that level and be, you know, a a high level defender.
0: So it sounds like you think he would be a good fit for the Blazers or, Maybe anybody. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, there's not a team on the in in the entire league who would not want Kent Bazemore to be, especially in you know just in their rotation on the court. He would play for anybody. Um, he would be in any team's rotation for you know for a playoff run. So you know, it's not necessarily that he's like a perfect fit for for the Blazers because I think you know he's just a little bit smaller than you would like to to play the, the the small forward spot. But he's, I mean, he's gonna fit you know really wonderfully with pretty much any team.
0: So, and uh, finally, to kind of wrap it up here in your observation of him, you know, as a locker room guy chemistry, I mean, in Portland, that's like a big deal for, for us as fans. You know, we want to make sure that our locker room stays as, as solid as it's always been. And there's been a lot of turnover. So what can you tell us about what kind of guy he is?
1: I mean, he's great. Like I've, I've been covering him for five years and he is just a fantastic human being and just, you know, he's different from Turner in that like, well, so I've never covered Evan Turner. Obviously we're coming up. Just on, wait. <laughs> we're coming up on the first year of, of that experience. And he's more outwardly funny. And, and it seems like at least from his social media and from what I've, I've heard from, from blazers people that he is much more sort of the, the, the center of the room in terms of his you know ability to, to make people laugh. Bazemore might not quite be the same kind of guy. He's more of a, he's a little bit more serious. Certainly as he's gotten older, he's, Taken on more of a veteran leadership role, you know. Obviously, in in Atlanta, that was important to to the young team. He and Vince Carter were like the two sort of old guys in the room, and he was the the longest tenured Hawk last year. And so I think he, you know, took on that role of sort of you know almost player coach in a way. And the the way he was able to to take the young guys under his wing, you know, now that he's in a competitive environment with other veterans, you know how he just you know how he sort of transitions out of being one of the team's primary leaders, because obviously you've got Dame and and a few other guys who are sort of have been around CJ as well. So, you know, how he transitions out of that will be interesting to, to sort of monitor, you know, I, I don't know how much we're going to really know about that, uh, you know, from a public point of view. But I think he's, you know, certainly going to be he's certainly going to fit a locker room that is trying to be a cohesive unit and is trying to win at a very high level. He's done that in his career, obviously with the Hawks made the conference finals in 2015. He knows what it's like to be on a great team with great veteran leaders around him in Al Horford and Paul Millsap on those teams. So, you know, I think he'll, he'll fit right in, uh, in terms of the, the locker room.
0: I kind of want to check in with you in six months and ask you how the Evan Turner experience is going. <laughs> Cause it's kind of one of those things that's like, You know, like when when after you're done binge watching a TV series and you just think, oh, I'll never get to experience that for the first time again. That's kind of what Evan Turner is going to be like, I think
1: it's going to be fun. I mean, everything I've heard is that he's just super fun and super interesting and just a a great guy to talk to. And so it's going to be really interesting how, you know, how he fits into the locker room. A bunch of young guys. Is he going to be able to sort of transition away from being like in a winning situation to being in a losing situation. I mean, it is what it is. Like the Hawks are not going to be, you know, particularly great next year with all the young guys that they have and the the development that those guys need. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how he holds up, how his morale holds up when they're losing as much as they are, you know, going to. Um, you know, how he fits on the court, of course, is a whole nother conversation in terms of, you know, the way they're going to play him at backup point guard essentially and let the ball, you know, really be in his hands in a way that it hasn't been Really, since he was in Boston, like the, you know, that was one of the the big gripes that I had in terms of, you know, how Portland used him is that they, you have to put the ball in his hands for him to be effective. And it just wasn't, it wasn't a great fit in terms of being around Dame and CJ and, and you know, bringing that sort of primary playmaking that he can bring to the table. So I think he's, you know, he's going to get that chance in Atlanta and it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how that plays out.
0: And you're going to have some fun content. I mean, how many players have like both shown up at the scene of a car crash, as well as had a uh, truck crash into their pool and, you know, help save the driver who, you know, could have been seriously injured or worse. So... But I'm wondering about for Kent Bazemore, do you have any fun stories that fans might like to know about him?
1: I mean, nothing like that. hes I don't know that he's a high bar. Yeah, I'm not sure that he's ever like saved anybody's life, (laughs) uh, at least not that I remember. I mean, he hosts like annual UNO tournaments. He's a big card game player. He's going to bring that to like uh, uh, the team plane. I think that'll be a lot of fun just to, to check in with him and see if he's still playing UNO on the plane. He and Jeff Teague, and I think Paul Millsap, uh, and one other guy were like the big UNO players on the plane. That's what the game that they wanted to play uh, rather than, you know, bu-ray or, or poker or whatever else that, that normal sort of NBA team planes look like, you know, I think that they, you know, they were really into UNO back in the day. And I think, you know, it would be really, it'd be really fun if he were able to bring that to, to, to the Blazers.
0: Yeah, that was fun. I had no idea. Awesome.
1: Yeah. He, he hosts a tournament every year, you know, gives b- a bunch of money to charity. I think a, uh, a little, a girl, like a little girl, just a, a daughter of one of the assistant coaches or something, won the whole tournament last year, and that sort of went like semi-viral as much as it can within the Hawks, you know, sort of smaller fan base. Um, that was a really fun moment. So he's, you know, he's a great guy. He's going to be great for the community. He always did, you know, stuff in and around Atlanta. So you know, he's going to be fantastic from that point of view. Just a, a all-around unbelievable human being.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming and telling us about him. I'm really looking forward to getting to know him more. Uh, Do you want to tell folks how they can find your work?
1: Uh, Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel. You can follow my Hawks work at Peachtree Hoops, uh, like we said at at the top. If you're looking for Evan Turner content, that's where he's going to be for the next year. So, (laughs) you know, he's going to be a big part of the Hawks. He's going to be their backup point guard. We're going to write about him a ton. So you you can follow uh, all of that over at Peachtree Hoops.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Now I'm talking to Nikias of Five Reasons Sports and Dime Magazine. Nikias has been doing a lot of coverage of the Miami Heat, so he's going to tell us about Hassan Whiteside. Nikias, welcome.
2: Thanks for having me. How are you doing?
0: We are doing great, and uh, this is a fascinating thing for Blazer fans because we've been hearing about Hassan Whiteside since about 2016 when I believe the Blazers... Uh tried to get him in free agency. that did not happen, and here we are three years later with uh Hassan Whiteside on the team. So just trying to get a little background what he's about. What do you remember from when he first came to miami?
2: uh, the first thing I remember from Hassan would be the triple double with blocks that he made his uh, he kind of trademarked it. he's trying to get his two k rating up he was swatting every shot in sight. Grabbing every rebound, dunking on people, he just—he quite literally came out of nowhere and became Miami's starting center.
0: And with all those triple doubles with blocks, one of the things that we've heard from you know about him is that you know there might be some stat chasing in there. Can you tell me about what parts of his game you know are truly useful?
2: Oh, I think he is um one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. He does have his his moments where he's chasing blocks instead of just contesting the shot or boxing out, but in general, he's a great rebounder, he's a great shot blocker, he's a great finisher in pick and roll, which I think is going to be a great fit with Damian Lillard since he's one of the best pick and roll players in the league. Um but that's really all they're going to need him to do, run the floor, um secure the boards, protect the rim. And I think he can do all of that at a high level.
0: Um but you said pick and roll, which uh, piques my interest because I have been looking at all of the players that the Blazers lost this year, and a lot of the best screeners are no longer on the team. So what can you tell me about Hassan
2: Whiteside's screening? Uh, I would say through the first two and a half years of his tenure in Miami, that was the most frustrating thing I had with him. He was just not a great or a willing screener. He would just kind of stand the away, which I get it because he – At the time, before he started dealing with some knee injuries, he was a very athletic big man. Um, He's obviously a massive guy, so he could still kind of create those creases for the guards to get through without setting the contact. But it was frustrating to watch him kind of just whiff on screens or go through the motion. But last year, he became one of the better screen setters on the team. So that was a positive. And again, he has great touch around the rim. He's a great finisher. So that helped him a lot.
0: Oh, good. So So that's a recent development.
2: Yes, he's he's finally screening. And I think contract year Hassan is going to try to do the little things a little more. So I think that's going to be fine.
0: Yeah. No. Tell me a little bit about his, you know, journey in Miami, because I, I always forget that he's 30 years old and he's been around for a while and he was, you know, in and out of the league. When did he come to Miami and like what were the expectations for here for him when he got there?
2: Um, well, Miami was dealing with the aftermath of LeBron going back to Cleveland. So the 14-15 season, it kind of went um, off the rails a little bit. Dwayne Wade dealt with some injuries. Chris Bosh dealt with the first blood clot. Um, so they found Hassan Whiteside, The second, uh, I think it was around December is when they signed him to a 10-day. And he got limited minutes and he played well and they gave him another 10 day. And then he ends up getting high minutes off the bench. And that's where he, we had the Chicago game where he has, I think, 13 blocks, <laughs>
3: <That's> <laughs> and, so many which blocks. is
2: just absurd. <laughs> and so from there he starts. Um, the next year he puts up, I think, 17 to 13 with a couple of blocks. And that's where the stat chasing kind of came in a little bit. But he, you know, he generally had a good year um, and then he gets paid. And that's where the issues kind of kick in, because you were expecting him to make another leap, um, and he just didn't. The screening didn't really come. Um, he was still chasing those blocks. He was getting frustrated because he, was, he wasn't he was getting as many post-up touches as he thought he deserved since he was the highest-played player on the team. That was the year Dwayne Wade went to Chicago. So um, started, uh, I wouldn't say chirping, but you could tell he was a little upset about his role and his usage there. Um the next year to get Bam out of bio. He's doing all of the things that you want Hassan to do. He's screening, he's running, he's rotating out on defense, doing all that stuff at, at 120%. And Hassan start, I mean, Bam starts earning more minutes. Hassan gets a little upset because now, on top of him not getting the offense ran through him like he wants to, now he's got a guy at his heels taking away some of those minutes. He's closing out games. And you see, last year Hassan was coming off the bench the second half of the year, and his minutes got cut drastically, and he was a good soldier about it. But um, he he clearly wasn't happy about that. He thinks he's a high-level player he wanted to play. So um, he kind of wore out his welcome in that regard. Miami wanted to turn the reins over to Bam Adebayo at center, and Hassan's in Portland now.
0: So I don't know how much chance you get to watch Portland basketball because we, we probably pretty much couldn't be any farther away. <laughs> um, but with, you know, obviously kind of the one of the key identities of – Portland is Damian Lord and CJ McCollum in their back court and their backcourt and the way that they play. You know, how do you see a player like Hassan, you know, best case scenario fitting in with those guys?
2: I'm intrigued with the fit because I think they're I think your um, Yusuf is a great center. Um, very good in pick and roll. I think Hassan gives them a little better vertical spacing as a role man. So I think he is going to be good for Damian Lillard because you really can't afford to trap those pick and rolls as aggressively because Hassan can finish at the rim if he's throwing those lobs. Um, I do think if um, Blazer fans are expecting Hassan to kind of replace the um, short roll passing, that Nurkic has, um, you might want to, might want to temper your expectations. <laughs> Hassan is not a good passer. Um, became more willing towards the end of his heat tenure, but he's just not a good passer. So, just kind of be on the lookout for that. But I think he's gonna be, he's gonna be great defensively. He's gonna clean the glass. He's one of the best rebounders in the NBA, and he's going to be a premier lob threat for Dame or CJ.
0: That is one of the things that I find very exciting because I'm like the unofficial scorekeeper or Tallier of the dunks, keeping everybody up to date on how many dunks our team has and our team does not dunk. Um, <laughs> oh, he'll give you bless some. Bless our hearts, you know, Yusuf Nurkic. Just that's not his bag. You know, we were super excited because he was on pace to, you know, get over 80 dunks this year. <laughs> in his 72 games and i i believe Hassan easily like had twice that. So uh but we haven't you know as a result though because you know he's not a big dunker you know the last guy that we got who was uh good at uh, catching lobs was really Mason Plumley. So it's been a, been a little while. So you know just to kind of wrap it up a little bit we've heard one of the things that we talk about in Portland or the sort of part of the narrative of of the Portland story is that the front office there does a good job of finding guys who are like underperforming in their current situations and then bringing them into Portland into, you know, the system that's run by Damian Lillard. And uh, so far it's worked, you know, Yusuf Nurkic had some baggage when he came to Portland, you know, that's what people from Denver were telling us. So kind of looking like the same sort of situation. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, how uh, Hassan might be successful in Portland?
2: I think he's going to love it there. He's going to be in a place where, A, he's going to get a lot of minutes, and I think that's kind of the big thing for him. But also, he's with an organization, kind of headlined by Dame and CJ, that's going to want him to be there. And I think some of those personal relationships were lacking in Miami. He didn't have, I want to say he didn't have friends in the locker room, but it, it wasn't a he didn't have like a closeness there. And I think with him already having a relationship with CJ and and with Dame, I think that's going to kind of, um, make him more comfortable and a comfortable happy Hassan is a beast of a center.
0: Mm -hmm. Nice. That's good to hear. Is he a, you know, did he embrace being in Miami? Like right now we're getting reports that he's going around Portland, passing out voodoo donuts to people. And then he was Instagramming from the Japanese garden. He seems to be really embracing the city. Was he like that with Miami?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He loved DJ Khaled. Those two were always (laughs) together. Um, yeah, he definitely loved Miami. It was just it's kind of just the on court thing. He, he wanted his minutes. He wanted his touches. And when he wasn't doing the little things, Eric Spolster, he's a stickler for detail. That's where the minutes drop. And you get a guy like Bam Adebayo who does all those little things and he's younger and he's cheaper and he has a higher upside. And that's just kind of where those where his minutes went. But I think he's going to be great in Portland awesome
0: well thank you very much for coming on and telling us a little bit about the hassan whiteside experience in miami uh we appreciate it you want to tell folks how they can find your work
2: uh yes you can uh follow me on twitter at nikias nba n-e-k-i-a-s n-b-a um you can catch my heat work on five reasons sports um my general nba stuff on dime um and you can just follow my funny tweets if you want to do that
0: Talking now with Preston Ellis. Preston, welcome. Happy to have you here.
3: Oh, it's such a blast to be here. I'm, I'm really excited right now to talk some Azonia.
0: I was trying to figure out how to introduce you, and we had such a long conversation just trying to figure that out. I was like, you know what?
3: Just go ahead and introduce
0: yourself and tell us, tell us about yeah. the, the different places that you write. <laughs>
3: it's quite a mouthful right now. So, right now, I'm writing and editing for Bleach Report. I also write and edit for thebirdwrites.com and Orlando Pinstripe Post, where I'm a contributor. And I have podcasts for each of those sites. One is the Bird Calls for the Pelicans, and one is Do You Believe in Magic for Orlando Pinstripe Uh And I am a credentialed writer uh, at Amway for the Orlando Magic. So if you guys are really into the Magic for any specific reason and you want some uh, some live tweets or breaking news or coaches quotes or all that sort of stuff, just follow me at Preston Ellis.
0: All right. Well, you are the perfect person then to talk to us about Mario Hazonia, who the Blazers have just brought in. We're trying to get to know all the new players. So what can you tell us about, uh, let's start with what you remember about when Mario Hazonia first came to Orlando.
3: Well, uh, this, this is going to be a lot. Uh, so basically, Portland's in a really good position right now and that we don't really know what Mario Hazonia is yet, uh, being that he's been in the league for, uh, I think, five seasons now. Generally, you'd think you have the overall impression of what a player is. However, just based on his time in Orlando with three different head coaches, two different front offices, and then he goes to New York, where obviously the same thing is happening there under David Fisdale, and just a, a team full of guys who are in between being traded to Dallas, and just in the process of tanking for Zion Williamson, hopefully uh, accumulating some stars in free agency. There really hasn't been a clear-cut role for him throughout his career. There hasn't been a stable front office for him to work under. Uh, He's showed plenty of flashes. However, in Orlando, he was really miscast as a kind of shooting guard, spot-up shooter, and as many of you probably know at this point in his career, that's not what he does. He's going to be much better suited for the role he's going to find himself in Portland, so if there is an opportunity for him to succeed and carve out a role as a rotation player for a playoff team, there actually couldn't be a better landing spot for him than portland so you're talking about him as a three or a four not the two I think primarily you're going to need to see him at the four. He needs the ball in his hands. Uh, some kind of lineup with Anthony Simons, Kent Bazemore, Rodney Hood at the three, and Hassan Whiteside at the five makes a lot of sense. Uh, I know that Rodney Hood needs the ball, but Kent Bazemore and Hood can kind of, uh, they can try to uh, be single dribble uh, penetrators. They can attack closeouts. Uh, same with Simons. Uh, all of these guys can can kind of work with what Mario Hazonia does, which is drive and transition. Uh, he's, he's a great passer. He's got great vision. He needs to be able to attack the the basket as well uh he's had some some shooting spurts where he shot close to 40 percent uh most primarily was the the year that all the orlando magic power forwards were down and he was averaging 25 minutes a game uh for the better part of january and february and he was actually really successful during that time uh over 16 points a game over five assists over five rebounds and i want to say it was about 28 minutes a game during that point in time scored 28 points uh one month against the Detroit Pistons, but that's the thing. He needs to play the four; otherwise, he's a defensive liability anywhere you put him, and you're probably going to suffer that anyway. Putting him alongside Rodney Hood and Hassan Whiteside, but uh, they are going to be explosive. They are going to move the ball. They are going to score points. And I'm sure you guys already know about his uh, his friendship with Yusuf Nurkic. Those guys are the best of buds. He's probably going to be sharing the floor in the second unit with uh, CJ McCollum. And the two of those guys are going to have to share the basketball. But like I said, put him at the four, put him alongside Whiteside, who can kind of clean up and, and uh, protect him defensively as a rim protector. And he's going to be in a really good position to succeed.
0: So I'm still back on the part where you talked about him being a great passer because. Because as you may realize, you know, Portland lost a, you know, several people who handled the ball a lot this, uh, this off season. And one of the people that, you know, was kind of along those lines was Evan Turner, a bigger guy than most of our other ball handlers who, you know, uh, could guard the bigger guys as well as pass the ball. So can you go in a little bit deeper into, you know, the, the best situations for him to be passing in, like with the best, the types of players around him
3: yeah, in half court, he's got great vision. Um, he can find his way around players. He can he can see beyond players. So guys attacking closeouts, guys cutting, uh, working around screens. He is really good with the ball in his hands, and he can find those guys. However, the best position for him is always going to be in transition. If the Trailblazers can run up and down the floor, that's where you're going to see Mario Hezonja really succeed. He is a very exciting player. Uh, you guys have all seen the dunks right now. You've seen him block LeBron James. You've seen him dunk and step over Giannis and Tenacumpo. He does <laughs> highlight real stuff like that as a passer as well. However, the one caveat to that being for every uh, highlight reel type play, you're also going to see, um, I don't know uh, how to how to explain, kind of like the the doofus play where he just tries to do too much. Um, my primary example, one of the more, more famous highlights uh, or whoopsies you might think of is uh, a four-on-one fast break against the Detroit Pistons. And he tried to behind the back pass through his legs and it just okay. went right to Ish Smith who went the other way uh, for an easy basket because obviously four Magic were on that end of the floor. So with every highlight reel pass, you're also probably going to get a whoopsie or two. He does try to do too much. He is uh, a kind of cocky player, as many of you will know. I'm sure you all remember the quote when they said, "Is Lionel Messi? Are you going to go watch Lionel Messi when he was in Barcelona?" He's like, no, he needs to come see me. Uh, he has that kind of <laughs> Mamba mentality, and you guys are going to love him. He's a great interview. He loved his time in Orlando. He was very expressive about that Uh, he expressed how unfortunate it was that it just didn't work out and he got a bit more money to go to new york um and i i've also seen quotes recently that he said he had an offer to go to portland last year however he just wanted to experience the big city so you can tell that he's kind of calming down he's kind of finding his footing with these teammates in portland he's got a much better role than he ever has before uh so i I just think that you guys are going to be very excited to follow him as both a player and more importantly as a person
0: Awesome. He sounds like he's going to be a lot of fun. I've heard that he's a bit of a talker on the court as well. I mean, anybody who's stepping over Giannis has got a certain amount of confidence. Uh, You know, is that a reputation that uh, seems true?
3: Yeah, it's just like I was mentioning. He's he's a real cocky guy. Um, I'm not going to say he's narcissistic, but he's just very confident in himself. He's very assured of himself. Uh, But like I said, for for each one of those moments, uh, that's really going to stick with you guys this season. You're also going to come up with those boneheaded plays. Uh, absent-mindedness on defense. Um, that's why it's going to be important that you have guys on the floor who can help him and protect him, uh, like a potential Hassan Whiteside. Right now, you guys are accumulating quite a few knuckleheads uh, when you when you put uh, <laughs> him alongside Hassan White. A white side, but hopefully, if those guys uh, really access their game and do what they do uh, well, Hazonia is uh, a good defender at the four position. He, you just really have to keep him there. He might get uh, attacked a bit in switches, uh, especially if you guys uh, go deep into the playoffs. He might become a liability on that end. But just in in terms of a secondary playmaker, he's really going to pair well, uh, I would think, with CJ McCollum off the bench.
0: We love the stories, the, the little stories about, um, you know, guys that are usually kind of only known within the fan base of where they are. Do you have any other legendary Hazonia stories to share with us?
3: (laughs) Uh, no, I, I guess, uh. It it was more the, the sadness of him leaving. Um, obviously he was drafted by Rob Hennigan and then Jeff Weltman, uh, came in and didn't pick up his, his fourth year option. Um, and he was just very open and upfront with how much he loved being in Orlando. Um, I have one specific quote in front of me. He said, it's a super weird feeling. Honestly, when I think about it, I don't know the phrase, but it's just unfortunate. So he really did enjoy his time here. He is a very emotional guy. He's a great interview. So if you guys ever have access to him, he's one of the best people to talk to. He's incredibly friendly. He's great for a quote. Um, He's just somebody who's, who's not afraid to be who he is, I guess is the best way to sum it up.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to getting to know him. He sounds like he's going to be, you know, yet another personality to fill the locker room who's <laughs> I think our writers are pretty lucky because they have a lot of guys who have a lot to say. I mean, there's been some sadness over the loss of, you know, Evan Turner as a locker room guy and uh, his uh fantastic quotes, but it sounds like Hazonia is going to be interesting in his own right. <laughs>
3: Yeah, he's going to fill that role and pairing him alongside Kent Bazemore. I'm sure you guys uh, might have listened to his podcast by now. He's going to bring that to the Portland area, and I'm sure he's probably going to have the two of them on a podcast together will be interesting to say the least. Uh, th- there's a lot of great guys in that Portland locker room right now. CJ McCollum has his own podcast, so I, I don't know <laughs> if these guys are going to tie in and, and, and do a dual threat episode where they cross over, but uh, there's it's going to be easy to cover the Portland Trailblazers this year. There's going to be so much content for you guys. It's really an exciting time. Yeah. So I don't know what he's going to bring to you in terms of a player. I know what he can be. I know what position he needs to be in order to succeed. And he's going to be with a better team that he's ever been with before. He's going to be in a better culture than he's ever been before. But uh, I I don't know if he'll ultimately succeed just because we haven't seen it yet. But just in terms of a personality, uh, he's going to fit right in in Portland and you guys are really going to enjoy covering him.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about him. And um, before we finish up, you want to tell folks where they can find you on Twitter? I think we talked about all the different places that you write, but maybe we can just end with your social handles.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You guys, thank you so much for for listening to this podcast. First of all, thank you so much for having me. If you guys want to help me out, obviously uh, we rely on you guys' support. We're not asking for money, anything like that. If you do want to help me out, go on iTunes or on your podcast app uh, on your iPhone if you have one. Search for the bird calls and search for Do You Believe in Magic and just give me a five-star review. It takes 15 seconds to do if you already have those apps or if you have your desktop with your iTunes open. And uh, I I know it doesn't sound like much, but it really does help drive traffic to our podcast. And of course, Course, you can follow me at Preston Ellis.
0: Awesome thank you so much Preston. All right talking with Brady of Golden State of Mind we're gonna learn a little bit more about Anthony Tolliver. Anthony Tolliver has been around the league he's played on I believe 10 teams and he including one stop at Golden State. So we're here to talk to Brady about that
4: Thank you thank you. Anthony was a was a fun player to to watch with with the Warriors It was early on in his career though right uh, after his four-minute stint with the Blazers. Came over and um, I think only played about 44 games with the Warriors. But he caught on with fans very easily because no one really knew of him at the time. This was very early in his career. This was the twenty-nine twenty ten 2010 season, so I think only his second year in the league. Uh, and at the time, he really was was not an established player at all. So it was kind of a fun guy who showed up in shortly into the season, and no one had any expectations. No one thought he was going to last more than, you know, the four minutes that he lasted in Portland. And then he ended up playing pretty well and in a manner that really endeared himself to to the Warriors fans.
0: What do you remember about, like, his, you know, uh,
4: typical style of play? What I remember most was that at the time, he was a little bit different than than what we're seeing what we were seeing in basketball at the time versus what we are now, because he was, he was a large player, you know, he's six, nine or so, is power forward defensively, uh, but he liked to shoot three pointers. And at the time that wasn't all that common. And now it's, if you can't shoot three pointers as a power forward, you're not even going to make the league anymore. But, you know, with the Warriors running a a wild offense with Don Nelson and, um, letting everybody shoot having this huge guy come down the court and and jack up three pointers was just incredibly new um at least for the Warriors and and now I feel like he has really been able to keep his standing in the league because that's what he does and now that's that's what works and that's what's required in the league and and He's only gotten better in all those regards. His, his three-point shot has just gotten better over the years. And he has managed to become a better defensive player, which allows him to stay on the court to use that three-point shot. And he's he's just done a good job of playing within his role, not trying to do too much. He was never, even even when he was with the Warriors and in his second year trying to carve a role in the NBA, he never really tried to do too much. Which was great.
0: Over the years, as you've watched basketball players, what do you think is the key to success for basketball players who are in the league for a really long time?
4: That's a wonderful question. A wonderful question. I think I think the biggest thing is is what I just touched on with him and knowing your role. I think I think a player like Vince Carter is an incredible example because Vince Carter had to change his role. So many times over his career as the game changed, as he got older, as he, as some of his skills and athleticism diminished a little bit. Um, he's an extreme case since he was a, a star to begin with. But I think for a role player, it's about understanding what you do well, understanding how to make winning plays and understanding why you are on a team and what your role is going to be there because there are so many players that fall out of the league when they're 25 or 26 because they think that they need to play a bigger role. They think they can do more, and it ends up being detrimental to their team.
0: Anything else that you remember about Tolliver for his brief stint or anything uh, just you know any time that he's been throughout the league?
4: I think the thing that stands out to me most that I remembered then and and still feel now is, despite the fact that he has jumped to seemingly a new team every year, which is pretty, almost literally a, a new team every year. He is beloved by teammates. He's the kind of guy who teammates at every team will stop and talk about how great of a player he is, how great of a person he is, uh, how, how much of a consummate selfless uh, team player he is. And that, that was what I remembered from watching him on the Warriors was how seamlessly he fit in with everyone, how much he had everyone's back, the first player to help someone up if they fell, uh, the first player to give players high fives if they had a tough game, um, the first guy to dive into the stands to try to save a loose ball. He just had that energy and that passion and that selflessness, and and everyone loves him.
0: Well, that all sounds pretty good. Do you can you think of any like detractors that things that people thought about his game that he could be improved?
4: Yeah, I mean he is. Still a limited player, you know. All the all the good things I I said about him knowing his role comes with the flip side that his role is small uh, because that's kind of what he can can do and can do well. Um, certainly, when he was with the Warriors, there were a lot of questions about whether or not he would be able to survive in the NBA as a defensive player uh, because he is kind of an odd um, positionless big man in the sense that he's not fast enough to to really be able to guard modern forwards, um, but not as big as you would want someone who is defending opposing centers. Um, so he kind of fits into that odd box a little bit where he has to be worked with. And I know Portland and Terry Stotts have done a good job in the past of of working well with players like that. So I think, I think he'll be fine. Uh, but he is a defensively limited player who who really is in there to do the small things and the intangibles. And if you need someone to do bigger things, to be a defensive stopper or to make their own plays or make plays for opponent or teammates or score 15 points a night, uh, he's he's never really going to be that player. He doesn't have that big game potential.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Anthony Tolliver, appreciate it. Do you wanna go ahead and tell people where they can find your work?
4: Yeah, thank you for having me on. You can find me on Twitter at Brady Klopfer NBA. It's Brady, K-L-O-P-F-E-R NBA. And you can read my work on the Warriors and the league at large at goldenstateofmind.com.